program Project 63, an interview with Malcolm X, the national representative for Mr. Elijah Muhammad, the Muslim movement in New York. Interview between Mr. Malcolm and Austin Clark, a Toronto writer. Within recent years, there have been many forces responsible for bringing the attention of the problems of the black man in America and other parts of the world. One of these forces is the Muslim movement, the black Muslims, which is a very active movement in New York and other parts of America. With me is Mr. Malcolm X, Minister of Moss Number no. 7 in New York, and who is regarded as one of the better-known spokesmen for this movement. Mr. Malcolm, could you tell me what is the history of the movement in America? Well, uh, number one, when we are referred to as the black Muslims, actually this is incorrect, uh, it is true that we are black people who are Muslims because our religion is the religion of Islam. Uh, but in the West, the word black Muslims has been used in, a, in the wrong way. Uh, when, when, when I say I am a black man uh, who is a, who I, and I'm a Muslim, I mean I'm black in the sense that black is an adjective. And uh, uh, when it is used by the press, usually they say black Muslims. They capitalize the letter B and uh, t attach it to the word Muslim and make it black Muslim, the name of an organization. I see. Uh, are you saying that they're trying to differentiate between a white Muslim and a black Muslim? Yes. And they do this purposely for propaganda purposes. Uh, to try and make it appear that we are that we're using the name black Muslim as the name of of an organization that has nothing to do with a religious connotation, but we are Muslim. We are black people who are Muslim because uh, our religion is Islam. And uh, also in the America here, they oftentimes try and say that we are not Muslim but Muslim, and they are successful in doing this simply because most Americans aren't aware that. Uh, uh, Muslim is only the anglicized or westernized uh, way of saying Muslim. A Muslim is a Muslim and a Muslim is a Muslim. Most Americans don't know this. So most Americans end up in, in referring to the followers of uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. They will say, well, we aren't Muslims, we're Muslims. And this actually uh, displays the or reflects the ignorance of the average American on uh, concerning other religions. And here in America, we are uh, followers of Mr. Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He's the religious head or spiritual leader of the ever-increasing number of black people who are coming out of the uh, Christian church and accepting the religion of Islam, the religion of our forefathers, and uh, accepting the uh, one God, Allah, rejecting the trinity of the church and accepting the the uh, the unity of God. Could you put your hands on the forces or the motivation for this exodus from the old traditional religion and the new one? Well, you mean by the old traditional religion, the old Christian? The old Christian religion. Well, mo uh, most of the black people in America uh, are well aware that the Christian church, as it has, uh, as we have known it, has definitely failed us. It has failed to solve our problems. It has failed to produce brotherhood between black and white Christians. It has failed to eliminate the conditions of poverty and discrimination and segregation 
that our people experience in this country. It has failed us, period, and it has failed to make us a godly people. Uh, it has made us more ungodly. So uh, the, uh, especially among young black people today, uh, we, they, we are able to see that Christianity has failed. It has, even, uh, it has failed to do all of the things that it professes to lead one toward. And this has produced an atmosphere or climate or season uh, in which the religion of Islam, as taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, has found fertile soil and, is, and has uh, been very productive, productive results. Um, what element of the Negro population seems to be most interested in, in, in being Muslim? All elements. Uh, only the interest is usually reflected according to the element that one happens to be in. You take the, the bourgeois uh, Negro, so-called uh, the, 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 the Negro who refers to himself as the bourgeois, middle class, or professional Negro, he's interested. But usually his crumbs, the crumbs, the economic crumbs he receives come from the white man. So he has to hide his interest. He has to camouflage his interest. He has to camouflage his sympathy. He has to camouflage his support. But still, he is uh, uh, intellectually uh, honest enough to admit that what Mr. Muhammad is teaching actually will solve the problem of the masses of black people. Uh, but at the same time, being a realist and knowing that his crumbs come from the white man, he has to hide his agreement with Mr. Muhammad. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the masses of black people in this country who suffer the brunt of the white man's discrimination, segregation, uh, who live in the slums and the ghettos. They also uh, are interested. But since they have nothing to lose, they have nothing to hide. So they reflect open interest, they reflect open sympathy, and they actually also reflect open support. Uh, and what I'm saying to you in essence is that all black people in America are interested, but the differences in their interests is in the form that it manifests itself. What are the aims of the movement, the practical aims? Yes, the aims of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, his reason for teaching us the religion of Islam is that is the only thing that will solve our problems. It will clean us up morally. It will awaken us intellectually, mentally. It will show us how to stand on our own feet uh, economically. And it shows us also, it instills within us the uh, independent desire to, to govern our own affairs, plot our own destiny, control our own future. And one of the reasons that it is uh, so important for the black people in America to develop this kind of thinking, this kind of concept, uh, you have to understand the religion of Islam. The religion of Islam teaches us to believe in one God whose proper name is Allah. And by believing in one God, we believe in all of the prophets because we believe that uh, there being one God, he only had one religion, and therefore every prophet who walked on this earth had to teach the same religion. So once we accept Allah as God, the oneness of God, that means we also accept the oneness of God's religious message and we also uh, accept the oneness in the mission and the objectives of all of the prophets, the oneness of their source, the, the common origin that all of them had. And uh, in, in, in accepting this, we also accept the uh, scriptures that were taught by all of their prophets, all of these prophets, and all of the prophets always mention that there would come a time when God himself would manifest himself in the flesh on this earth and bring about an end of all wicked kingdoms 
and then establish a kingdom of his own that would based, be based upon freedom, justice, equality, righteousness, peace, love, and brotherhood. This would be heaven on earth. How close is the, um, the white man's kingdom? But I, I mean, how close an association between a wicked kingdom and the situation of white prejudice? It's impossible black. to separate uh, wickedness, corruption, slavery, colonialism, exploitation, and oppression from what we would call Europeanism or Westernism or whiteism or, as they say, white supremacy. Only when the white man practices it, he doesn't call it white supremacy, nor does he call it slavery t today. He calls it colonialism. Colonialism was slavery. Colonialism was white supremacy. This was wickedness. This was exploitation. This was oppression. This was corruption. This is what it is predicted God himself would bring an end to in the, at the end of time when he manifests himself in the flesh. And when the prophets in the uh, scriptures referred to the end of time, they didn't re mean by end of time the end of earth, but they only meant the end of a system on this earth that was wicked or the end of a world on this earth that was wicked. And most Negroes in America, by having a limited, narrow religious concept, when they hear the religious leaders say the end of the world, they think that this is meant to be the end of everything. But uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, our religious teacher, teaches us that God does not intend to bring an end to the earth, but an end to the world. And on this one earth, there are many worlds. The world of socialism, the world of capitalism, the world of communism, the world of colonialism, the world of Buddhism, the world of Judaism, the world of Islam, the world of Christianity. There are many worlds. And when the religious reference is made concerning the end of time, uh, Mr. Muhammad teaches us that this only means the end of time for a certain world or a certain race or a certain system. And uh, as a religious people who have accepted the religious teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, we feel that we are living now in the last days of the white man's world or at the end of time for the white man's world. And because we feel religiously that his time is up or that his world is approaching its end, its doom, its disaster, or its uh, judgment, we have no desire to accept his belated offers of integration into a corrupt, outdated society that has been sentenced to doom and destruction by the God or Lord of all the worlds, whom we refer to as Allah. Um, if you are not willing to, well, let me let me put it this way: if you do not want to accept any of his crumbs or be in a partnership with him now because you think he's on the way out anyhow. Are you in effect suggesting some form of apartheid? This has been one of the criticisms that I've, I've read of your movement. Well, uh, apartheid uh, is misunderstood unless you translate it into, uh, translate it into English and with the proper counterpart. If a, uh, if, when, would you translate the word, uh, I think it's a Germanic word, uh, apartheid into English with under the word uh, segregation? segregation. Does apartheid mean segregation? or uh, does uh, the, the existence of the two races independently of, of, of one another. Does uh, apartheid then mean segregation or separation? Well, the, segre the, the apartheid we know of in South, South Africa seems to suggest some sort of segregation because the black man is not given the, the um, 
all all the facilities. We, but, but in your case, if you're going to establish yourself independently of the white man, I'm wondering if this cannot be termed some form of apartheid. See, uh, apartheid has been uh, used or translated or come to be known in the West now as something very uh, derogatory because it's associated with South Africa. Uh, uh, America practices apartheid too, uh, but she preaches democracy, but she practices uh, the opposite. Now, the reason I ask you for the for a definite, distinct definition, we are against segregation, but we are for separation. And Mr. Muhammad teaches us that the difference between segregation and separation is segregation is forced upon is that which is forced upon inferiors by superiors, uh, as you hinted. Separation is done voluntarily by two equals. The people of South Africa practice segregation. Apartheid uh, in a segregated sense. Uh, we are against that, but we are uh, for separation, which means the voluntary separation by two equals. I have everything that I need to uh, control my destiny, my future. You have everything that you need to control your destiny, your future. Uh, an example here in America, uh, an all-white neighborhood is never referred to as a segregated neighborhood. It is only a Negro neighborhood that's called segregated because the white neighborhood is controlled. It's lived in by whites. The economy is controlled by whites. The politics are controlled by whites. The society is controlled by whites, whereas the Negro community here in America is also controlled by whites. The housing is controlled by whites. The educational system is controlled by whites. The politics of the Negro community is controlled by whites. The economy is controlled by whites. All of the businesses in the Negro neighborhood are controlled by whites. The banks are controlled by whites. And this means that the Negroes, even though they live in their own neighborhood, are controlled by whites. This is segregation. And this is why a segregated neighborhood is usually deteriorated economically, politically, uh, intellectually, and otherwise. But the white neighborhood is separate, but they control their separateness. They are in, they're in command of, their, of what they have. Now, we believe, as followers of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, that the white man should have his own and that the black man should have his own. Now, the black man should control his own and the white man should control his own, but we don't believe that the white man should control us politically, economically, religiously, intellectually, educationally, or other. Wise, we believe that we should be in complete command of our own. You have been um, <clears throat> reported to to desire certain states sep set apart. I think this goes back to what you were talking about being separate but equal. Could you tell me how you would go about arranging your business interests, your educational facilities, and even what system of education would you have to, 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 to institute in order to set up your separate state? First, you have to know the background as to why Mr. Muhammad suggests separate states. He says that the government has shown its inability to give justice to black people in this country. The government has shown its inability to give freedom or equality to black people in this country. And since the United States government has shown its inability to treat us as human beings in this country, Mr. Muhammad says that the United States government should let 20 million black people in this country leave here and go back into our own homeland. But the government doesn't want the world to know that it is incapable of giving democracy or freedom and justice to black people so that the government puts forth every effort imaginable to keep a mass number of black people 
uh, developing an idea or a desire to go back home among our own kind. And so uh, Mr. Muhammad says, since the government doesn't want us to leave here and go back home among our own people, and the government can't treat us right here mixed up with them, then this government should separate this country and give us a section where we can live to ourselves, give us separate territory where we can go and solve the problems that the government has proven its inability to solve. And now, sir, uh, the government doesn't want the world to know that it is incapable of giving us justice, so it is the government propagandists that blow up the fact that Mr. Muhammad wants some separate states to make it look like we're trying to secede from something that's good rather than the, the actual fact is we're trying to secede from something that is bad and from something that has proved its inability to treat us good and to treat us in accord with the principles of freedom, justice, and equality. If you did get these states, do you think that there would be a clash, let's say, in the foreign policy or even in the economic policy between your, your, your states and the rest of, of, of America, which I presume would be white by this time? I don't think that any clash could ever develop uh, worse than the clashes that are developing right now between black and white uh, in an integrated, so-called integrated society. Whenever you live in a country that refers to itself as a democracy and refers to itself as the leader of the free world, and in that country you see pictures on the front pages of cops sicking dogs on black people simply because they want to vote, simply because they want to uh, exercise what the government has professed to be the constitutional rights of black people, why, sir, the relationship between the two races couldn't get any worse. And the attitude... Uh, toward each other couldn't get any worse. So we feel that since the government is hypocritical, the white man is hypocritical, the American is hypocritical, Uncle Sam is hypocritical, whenever he speaks in terms of freedom and justice and equality where black people are concerned, the best thing that Uncle Sam can do is let the Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, take our people who are unwanted here in this society into a separate territory, and there we will establish our own farms, our own agricultural system by which we will feed our people, we'll stop begging the white man, we will set up our own factories, our own industry by which we will clothe our people and employ our people, we'll stop begging the white man, we will be able to take the surplus that we produce and, and put it on the world market and do trade with our darker brothers from the east, from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, this way we'll be able to somewhat control our own destiny, we'll cease to be a uh, burden on the back of the American white man, we'll be solving our own problem instead of sitting around here waiting for a hypocritical American white man to solve a problem for us which he knows he can't solve. Would you, would you, let's say, would you trade with white America if this came about? Well, I think that uh, even your black countries in Africa who were colonized and oppressed and exploited by whites trade with the white man today. All the black man in Africa wanted what his, was his freedom, which meant by freedom the black man in Africa meant uh, control over his own land. And once he controls his own land, then that which he grows, that which he raises in his own soil, he's able to trade on the world market with white, with black, with brown, with red, with yellow, with anyone who will do business with him. And then he's recognized as a man. He has something to offer. He has something to exchange in the society of human beings. But as long as whites were in control of the African continent, 
This meant that the black man was didn't even have control over what he produced. The whites controlled it. They it put whites in a position where they were able to uh, exploit the uh, wealth of the black man's land, take it into their own country, take raw materials from the black man's land to their own country, back to Europe, feed their factories with it, produce manufactured goods, and then turn around and sell it to the black man at a higher price. Sell his own goods to him in a manufactured form or finished goods form at a higher price. And this made the economy of the white man uh, at a high level. And it has only been since the black man in Africa has gained possession of his own land that Europe now doesn't have access to uh, free raw materials. So this has affected the European economy to the point where it has driven the European countries uh, in desperation together to form what they call the European common market, something that they can use to offset their loss of, uh, of free materials, free raw materials. And just as the freedom of the black man in Africa affected the economy of Europe in this way, affected, destroyed the economy of, of Britain and France and Belgium, uh, the same thing uh, affects America. Whenever the black man in this country begins to get some kind of excess or freedom of operation over his own economy, this affects the economy of the white man in America to the point where uh, he doesn't have the economic power that he once had. And you'll find, sir, that the white man in America is not going to give up that economic position freely any more so than Britain wanted to give it up or France wanted to give it up or uh, Portugal or, or Belgium wanted to give it up. And I only say that to point out that just as those countries over there were colonial powers because they colonized dark people and exploited them and oppressed them, America has colonized 20 million black people in this country who are just as thoroughly colonized as the Africans in Angola or the Africans in the Congo or the Africans in southern and northern Rhodesia. Uh, the black man in America is just as thoroughly colonized. Only America is shrewd enough to camouflage her colonial practices by classifying her colonial subjects as second-class citizens instead of calling them outright colonial subjects. Going back, Mr. Malcolm, to the subject of integration and efforts to integrate certain institutions, <clears throat> talking particularly, specifically rather, about Dr. Martin Luther King. How do you regard his achievements, if at all you regard any of his actions as achievements? Uh, there are people in America have made no progress economically, politically, intellectually, or any, any way, shape, or form uh, when you take into consideration the progress that America itself has made. This is a country that's supposed to be for freedom, then why should black people, ha and if, uh, if this is the country in which the Supreme Court says uh, the American policy is for integration, the Congress says that American policy is for integration, the Senate says that American policy is for integration, the President of the United States is supposed to be for integration, his brother, the Attorney General, is supposed to be for integration, now, you got these Negro leaders like Martin Luther King have to get down and allow themselves to be beaten and jailed and spit upon and they can't get integration? No, why? We haven't made any more progress in 1963 than our people were make, making in 1863. The whole thing is a farce. It's trickery. Not to solve the problem of black people in this country, but integration is just another political trick that the American white man uses to make black people think that we're making progress when we haven't made any progress. Your movement, 
have been subjected to certain criticisms. You've been called a hate group, you've been referred to as violent, seditious Americans, and instigating or advocating a black supremacy. Could you answer these charges for us? Number one, I don't see how anyone can accuse the Honorable Elijah Muhammad of teaching hate. He teaches black people to love each other. He teaches black people to respect each other. He teaches black people to work together in harmony and unity with each other. Now, because he doesn't waste his time telling our people to run around here and drool at the mouth over white people, the white man jumps up today and accuses him of teaching hate. How can you uh, teach black people in America to hate after we have spent 400 years in a country that made us slaves? We have spent 400 years in a country at the hands of whites who kidnapped us and brought us here and sold us from plantation to plantation like you sell cows and horses and chickens and bags of wheat. Uh, we have spent 400 years in the hands of a white man who has lynched our fathers on trees, which is murder. We have spent 400 years in the hands of a white man who has actually treated us like a beast, more cruelly than a beast would treat another animal. And then the past 100 years, this same white man has used every form of deceit to keep us from being recognized as human beings. Now, behind that kind of treatment, if black people in America don't hate the white man, we would look like we were fools. We would be fools trying to teach our people to hate someone who had done these things if they didn't hate them already. And if the black man in this country doesn't hate the white man behind what the white man has done to him, sir, I think that you can't teach hate to the black man. So what Mr. Muhammad does is he teaches us love but he teaches us to love our own kind, and he says we would be fools to be running around here trying to love white people before we learn how to love each other or before we learn how to love our own kind. And insofar as, in this hate too, the white man in America has a guilt complex. He knows that he is so guilty, he has blood dripping from his fingers, the blood of black people dripping from his fingers, he has the blood of black people dripping from his lips, from his mouth, and he knows that if the black man had done to him what he has done to the black man, he would hate the black man. So it is, own, it is his own guilt complex that makes him think that, think that someone is teaching hate. Uh, he, not, not only does the white man in America think Negroes hate him, he thinks the whole world hates him. Because when a man is guilty, he knows that everybody should hate him. So this is Uncle Sam's complex that makes him put out the propaganda and project a religious man like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad as a hate teacher instead of a teacher of love, unity, and harmony among black people. And he accuses us of Mr. Muhammad of advocating violence because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that the black man in this country should defend himself against the brutalities practiced against us uh, by whites. And because the white man is used to exercising brutality against black people without black people defending themselves, whenever a, 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 a someone comes along and says that we should have the right to defend ourselves, instead of the white man admitting that he is the one that's violent, he accuses the one who is defending himself of uh, advocating violence. It's like if someone was putting a rope around my innocent neck and I struggle uh, vigorously to keep that man from lynching me, that man has the audacity to accuse me of violence, and I'm his victim. So this is, again, the trickery of the American white man. Every time a black man stands up and tries to defend himself against the brutality practiced against black people in this country by white people, the white man puts out the propaganda that we're violent. He never says that these people in Mississippi who are sticking dogs on our people are violent. He doesn't say that the man who coils the lynch's rope around our neck is violent. He doesn't say that the people who are bombing the Negro churches are violent. 
But when a Muslim says that it's time now for black people to defend themselves, since the government has proven itself incapable of defending us, it's time for us to defend ourselves, then the government puts out the propaganda that we're advocating violence. So we're not a hate group. We're not a violent group. We believe in loving our own kind. We believe in defending ourselves. And this other thing you asked me about hate, violence, and black supremacy, was it? Black supremacy. Uh, supremacy means to be over someone, to, to be supreme, to be over someone. Now, our whole philosophy is separation. We don't even want to be with the white man, much less over him. We believe the white man should be with himself, over himself. We believe we should be with ourselves, over ourselves. We believe that white people should be supreme over white people. We believe black people should be supreme over black people. We, should, we believe white people should rule white people. Where would the, the children of mixed marriages fit in to this? They're in trouble. Uh, the, uh, the, the mixed, uh, if you notice, the white man always rejects children of mixed marriages. Uh, when you become of mixed blood, you're never white, but you're always considered non-white. What is the degree of black blood you must have in order to be black? Well, as far as we're concerned, as long as we can tell that you have black blood, uh, you're one of our brothers. And when you get in that uh, borderline where you can't tell what you are or it's uh, questionable, then it's best for you to get some papers, especially nowadays, because you're going into an era today where the color of your skin might save your life. Mr. Malcolm, what do you mean exactly when you say a black man? Well, well when Mr. Muhammad uh, teaches us, when we use the term black, uh, we include within that black uh, everyone who is non-white, that is uh, black, brown, red, and yellow. He teaches us all of the non-white world in Africa or Asia uh, are the same. They are brothers. And even the white man himself uses that terminology. He speaks of white and non-white. Well, we take the non-white, all of them, to be the same, black, and we include them all. And whenever a, a person of mixed blood uh, reaches the point where you can't tell what he is, then this is uh, why it is referred to as the judgment day. This is where God comes in. And those people who are at that borderline it will be left up to God himself to determine uh, which uh, way their heart beats, or which way their heart is turned. Suppose they wanted to be identified with the Muslims, would you accept them? Uh, Mr. Muhammad teaches us that anyone who accepts Allah as God and practices the principles of the religion of Islam is a Muslim. Uh, his uh, skin coloration has nothing to do with it. and. Uh, uh, Islam is the only religion in which this type of uh, brotherhood prevails. When you are a Muslim, the color of your skin is not what is looked upon. It is when you are a Christian that the color of your skin makes a difference. In Christianity, you have what's known as a white Christian and a Negro Christian or a black Christian. But in uh, Islam, you're just a Muslim. The color of the skin makes no difference. Now, when we refer to the white man, when you read the history of the world, you'll find that the religion of Islam spread rapidly and easily uh, and voluntarily in Africa and Asia. But when it reached Europe, it ran into a white stone wall. The white man has a tendency to go for Christianity, but he also has a tendency to rebel or reject Islam. Islam is a religion based on brotherhood, whereas Christianity is a religion where they can preach brotherhood, but they don't have to practice it. But one of the um, the tenets of the Christian religion seems to my mind to suggest brotherhood. 
You well, mean, as I say, it's a principle. It's a preachment, but it's not practice. It's the, what the white man has always used. Uh, he has used a, a, a doctrine that he would get others to practice, but he himself doesn't practice it. When he came here to this country, uh, he sent his priests to talk to the Indians, to pave the way for his soldiers. In the history of Africa, they sent their priests, their missionaries, to talk to the chiefs, to the Africans. And the, chief, the missionaries were followed up by the soldiers. This is the history of, of the slavery of Africa. The white man has always used this tactic. He will send a religion to you to get you to believe in it. But he himself will pretend to believe in that religion. But if you observe closely uh, the difference between what a white man practices and what he preaches, then you'll see the difference between uh, how he has able, as a minority, been to rule the vast majority of dark people on this earth. Some black people regard the actions of, of the white man as being beneficial to them. Could you give us some thought on this? Uh, you have uh, uh, some black people who are Uncle Toms. During slavery uh, on the plantation, there were always the blacks who were put in positions over other blacks. They were always allowed to live in the master's house, near the master. And they were known in those days as Uncle Toms. Uh, their job was to defend their master or sell their master's goodness to the other slaves. And uh, here in America today, you have the same thing. You have a 20th century Uncle Tom, whose role today is the exact counterpart, modern counterpart, of the ancient Uncle Tom. But the modern Uncle Tom, as a rule, doesn't even know he's an Uncle Tom. But he fills the same function today in the American society that the ancient Uncle Tom filled on the plantation. His job is to convince those of us who are still catching the brunt of the American white man's uh, brutality. This modern Uncle Tom, his job is to show us how much progress we've made, uh, how good things are now, and how there are some good people trying to, to solve this thing. Well, this is just a modern Uncle Tom. And uh, if you study his actions, as a rule, you'll find he puts up a better defense for the white man than he does for his for his own kind. We were talking about some charges leveled against the movement and we had um, discussed hate, violence, seditious American, as you as you recall. We, we forgot to discuss black supremacy. Could you um, discuss this now for us? Yes, I was mentioning concerning black supremacy. Supremacy means to be over someone. And uh, we don't want supremacy. Uh, uh, we're not looking for supremacy over the white man. We don't even want to be with the white man. We want to be separate away from the white man. And we want to be over ourselves. We want to, the followers of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, we believe in God's supremacy. We believe that God is supreme and we want to serve God. We want to obey God. We want a godly society. We want a godly world, a world of godliness. Um, is the white man at all aware of the force of this movement, the Muslim movement? Oh, yes. He's more aware of the force of the uh, Muslims who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad than he is of any combination of groups of black people in this country. Because all other black people in this country are belong to groups that are controlled by the white man. Any Negro organization you name to me, uh, I can prove to you that it's uh, controlled by the white man. And as long as there's an organization calls itself fighting for the rights of black people, as long as the white man can infiltrate it, join it, uh, influence it, and control it, he doesn't worry about it. But one of the reasons he's worried about the Muslims who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he can't infiltrate us, he can't join us, he can't influence us, he can't frighten us, and he can't control us. 
Is the NAACP one of these movements? NAACP has been in existence for 54 years. Every uh, year they elect a new president. They've had 54 elections during the 54 years. They've never elected a black man as their president. They have elected a white man. And for the past 24 years, they've elected the same white man, uh, a man named Arthur Spingarn, a Jew. And uh, the NAACP has never had a black man as its president. And uh, not only the NAACP, but the Urban League has a white president. Uh, uh, CORE, Congress on Racial Equality, has a white president. So all of these organizations, usually the type of Negro who belongs to those organizations, are the type of Negroes who love white people and want white people to be over them, who don't feel that they can even walk on their own feet. So whenever they vote, they vote for a white man to be over them, and they, uh, they end up accusing the white man. Right, They're practicing the same thing that they accuse the white man of practicing, and that is uh, of perpetuating the status quo of the white power structure. Whenever you have an organization like the NAACP, and in 54 years they never have a black man at the top, why, they are practicing the same thing that they accuse the white man of practicing, discrimination, segregation, because they are perpetuating a white head. And, or, or, and uh, then if some Negroes in that organization say, well, we don't have Negroes who are qualified to be the president, in 54 years if the NAACP hasn't qualified some intelligent Negroes for for uh uh, it's president that means that they are failing to qualify and train Negroes for leadership capacity, and they still aren't doing our people any good. I've read somewhere that you have been critical of some of the efforts of Dr. Ralph Bunch and Martin Luther King. Could you be specific on those charges? Ralph Bunch has been critical of us. The only time you hear a Muslim talk about another black man personally uh, is when that black man attacks us. Uh, our religion teaches us never to be the aggressor. But at the same time, it gives us the right to retaliate against anyone who attacks us. And uh, uh, Ralph Bunch allows himself to be used by his uh, puppeteer uh, as a puppet to attack uh, black people in this country who show independence of the white man. And he used his position to attack us. In fact, at the NAACP National Convention in Atlanta, Georgia, after Ralph Bunch had been Jim Crowed, refused, rebuked, and not allowed to stay in a white hotel, instead of taking the platform of the NAACP convention and attacking the white power structure who had segregated and Jim Crowed him, he took the time to attack us instead of the white man, see? So he's just a puppet for the white man, a parrot for the white man. White man pays him, and he doesn't use his position to attack discrimination and segregation that our people are experiencing experiencing in this country. The white man sends Ralph Bunch to the Congo to interfere in the uh, affairs of the Congolese, or the white man sends him to the Middle East to tell the Jews and the Arabs what to do. Uh, and he goes and does anything the white man tells him to do. But if the, to show you that he has no voice of his own, if he were to go down to Mississippi, to settle some problems that are taking place in Mississippi, they'd hang Ralph Bunch on a tree just as fast as they'd hang you or me. So he's nothing but a tool for the white man. He's not a leader of black people. Black people didn't make Ralph Bunch a leader. Black people didn't make Ralph Bunch any spokesman. And when Ralph Bunch opens up his mouth, he doesn't even speak like a black man. He speaks like a puppet or a parrot here for the benefit of white people, not for the benefit of black people. Would you consider Clayton Powell as a leader of black people? Well, uh, uh, black people send Adam Clayton Powell to Washington, D.C. Adam Clayton Powell is one of the few politicians and black politicians of national stature 
who has been able to buck a white political machine, the Tammany Hall machine here in New York City, and uh, still be sent to Washington. Now, the, one of the reasons that uh, Powell was able to buck the white political machine is because the black people here in Harlem are more uh, intellectually independent than black people anywhere in America. Black people in Harlem can think for themselves, and black people in Harlem think black. Black people in New York, they think black, they walk black, they talk black, they're proud to be black. And therefore, when a white political machine tries to tell black people in New York uh, who to accept as the leader, black people in Harlem don't go for that. So black people in New York send Powell to Washington, D.C., uh, as long as Powell speaks like a black man. And the day that Powell ceases to speak like a black man, you'll find that black people in New York will cease to send black uh, Harlem to uh, black people in uh, New York will cease to send Powell to Washington. So uh, I give you that answer. I'm not saying that Powell is right or Powell is wrong. That that's not the question. But Powell does represent black people to the degree that black people support him. But most of these other Negro leaders that you see running around here are nothing but Uncle Toms outright who have no independent voice of their own. And you never hear them open up their mouth until the white man gives them the right to open up their mouth. And then when they open up their mouth, they're all, they always take great care not to alienate what they consider to be the white liberal. Uh, the white liberal who has given them their position. White liberals gave Bunch his position. Any civic leader that you can name to me, he was given that position by white liberals. Uh, and uh, when he speaks, he takes into consideration first uh, his white liberal friend, and he'll say nothing that will alienate that white liberal from him. But when Powell opens up his mouth, Powell doesn't seem to care who likes it or who doesn't like it. And for that reason, you find black people continue to support him. Can he do this because he is financially or economically independent, or just because he's a brave leader? Uh, he can do it only because black people support him. It wasn't financial independence means nothing in this society. He can do it for the sole reason that black people support him. When black people and, and Powell knows that black people in Harlem support him, Powell knows also that when black people cease to support him. His own financial independence will mean nothing. He'll still have to go back to Puerto Rico someplace and settle down on his farm or whatever it is that he's purchased down there and uh, live happily ever after. It's only because he has the support of the black man that he can open up his mouth and talk back to the white man. And I uh, say right here that this is what makes it possible for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to represent the true feelings, the the sentiments and the hopes and aspirations of black people. Uh, Powell, Wilkins, uh, Farmer, uh, King, all of them admit that the only black man in this country who really represents the thinking of the black masses is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. The only black man who preceded the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and represented the thinking of the masses was Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey was the first black man to come into this country and get a mass movement, a, an allegiance support of the masses of black people. Why? Because Garvey didn't care what the white man thought. Garvey didn't care how the white man felt. Garvey had the feelings of the black man at heart. Garvey had the hopes and aspirations of the black man at heart, and the black masses detected this. They felt this. They were conscious of this. So they gave Garvey uh, uh, their support. And the first man to come along since Garvey 
to win the allegiance, to win the support, to win the uh, mind of the masses of black people is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And the same forces that aligned themselves and arrayed themselves in behalf of the white man against Gavi in that day have lined up today against the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in this day. The Negro intellectual was against Gavi. The Negro professional was against Gavi because Gavi represented the black man. Uh, today, the Negro intellectual, the Negro professional, the Negro bourgeoisie, they line up against the Honorable Elijah Muhammad because he represents the black man. He represents the black masses. He has the support of the black masses. And anyone today who can get a following among the masses of black people in this country is immediately labeled by the United States government as un-American as seditious, as subversive, as Marcus Garvey was labeled un-American, as seditious and subversive. Any black man who has the true intention of solving the problem of the masses of black people in this country, the government itself will try and trick that man and trap that man and frame that man, and usually he'll do it by these Uncle Tom Negro leaders whom the government has set up. And these leaders, sir, don't have any following whatsoever among the black masses. They have no support among the black masses. Their support is among the white uh, liberals. You regard the white liberal as an, an enemy. The white liberal is the worst enemy to America and the worst enemy to the black man. How do you regard the Jew? Let me first get, explain what I mean by this white liberal. Uh, in America, there's no such thing as Democrats and Republicans anymore. That's antiquated. In America, you have liberals and conservatives. This is what the American political structure boils down to among whites. The only people who are uh, still living in the past and thinks in terms of I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican is the American Negro. He's the one who runs around bragging about party affiliation, and he's the one who sticks to the Democrat or sticks to the Republican. But white people in America are divided into two groups, liberals and Republicans are rather liberals and conservatives. And when you find white people vote in the uh, political uh, picture, they're not divided in terms of Democrats and Republicans. They're divided consistently as, Democrat, as uh, conservatives and as liberals. The Democrats who are conservatives vote with Republicans who are conservatives. Uh, uh, re um, Democrats who are liberals vote with Republicans who are liberals. You find this in Washington, D.C. Now, the white liberals aren't white people who are for independence, who are liberal, who are moral, who are ethical in their thinking. They are just a faction of white people who are jockeying for power, the same as the white conservatives are a faction of white people who are jockeying for power. Now, they are fighting each other for booty, for power, for prestige. And the one who is the football in the game is the Negro. 20 million black people in this country are a political football, a political pawn, an economic football, an economic pawn, a social football, a social pawn. And the liberal element of whites are those who have perfected the art of uh, selling themselves to the Negro as a friend of the Negro getting the sympathy of the Negro, getting the allegiance of the Negro, getting the mind of the Negro. And then the Negro sides with the white liberal, and the white liberal uses the Negro uh, against the white conservative. So that anything that the Negro does is never for his own good, never for his own advancement, never for his own progress. He's only a pawn in the hands of the white liberal. 
The worst enemy the Negro has is this white man who runs around here drooling at the mouth, professing to love Negroes and calling himself a liberal. And it is following these white liberals that has perpetuated problems that Negroes in America has. If the Negro wasn't uh, taken, uh, trapped, tricked, deceived by the white liberal, then Negroes would get together and solve our own problem. It was the white liberals that come up with the Civil War, supposedly, to, they say, to solve the Negro, the slave question. Lincoln was supposedly a white liberal. When you read the true history of Lincoln, he wasn't trying to free any slaves. He was trying to save the Union. He was trying to save his own party. He was trying to conserve his own power. And it was only after he found he couldn't do it without freeing the slaves that he came up with the Emancipation Proclamation. So right there you have deceit of white liberals making Negroes think that the Civil War was fought to free them. You have the deceit of white liberals making Negroes think that the Emancipation Proclamation actually freed the Negroes. And then when the Negroes began, got the Civil War and they found out they weren't free, the Emancipation Proclamation, they found out they still weren't free. They begin to get un, uh, dissatisfied and unrest. They come up with the, four, the same white liberals came up with the 14th Amendment supposedly to solve the problem. This came about, the problem still wasn't solved because the white liberals, it's only a political trick. Civil War, political trick. Emancipation Proclamation, political trick. 14th Amendment to this raggedy constitution, a political trick. Then when the Negroes begin to develop intellectually again and realize that their problem still wasn't solved and unrest began to increase, the Supreme Court, another so-called political trick, came up with what they call a Supreme Court desegregation decision. And they purposely put it in a language. Now you know, sir, that these men on the, on the Supreme Court are masters of the King's English, masters of legal phraseology, and if they wanted a decision that no one could get around, they would have given one. But they gave their Supreme Court desegregation decision in 1954 purposely in a language, phraseology, that enabled all of the crooks in this country to get find loopholes in it that would keep them from having to enforce the Supreme Court desegregation decision. So that even after this decision was handed down, our problem has still not been solved. And I only cite these things to show you that in America, the history of the white liberal has been nothing but a series of trickery designed to make Negroes think that the white liberal was going, liberals were going to solve our problem. And it is only now that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has come on the scene and is beginning to teach the black man that our problem will never be solved by the white man. That the only way our problem will be solved is when the black man wakes up, cleans himself up, stands on his own feet, stops begging the white man, and takes immediate steps to try and do for ourselves the things that we've been waiting for the white man to do for us. Once we do them for ourselves, once we think for ourselves, once we see for ourselves, then we'll be able to solve our own problems and we'll be recognized as human beings all over this earth. By what practical means are you going about <clears throat> to establish a self-determination Negro? The Mr. Muhammad says that it's done in, in two stages, in three stages. Wake up, clean up, and stand up. Wake up means that our people have to be taught what time it is, that the white man's time has run out, and that time now is against him and it's on our side. Wake up uh, means also to teach our people that we're living in Judgment Day, what has been symbolically described in the Bible as Judgment Day or the end of the world. Wake up also means our people must be taught who we are, something concerning our cultural past, what uh, contributions our forefathers made to science, to civilization, to art, to everything. Uh, our people have to be made aware of the fact that we weren't savages in the jungle when the white man caught us and brought us here. Our people have to be taught 
the true history of the black man. And it has to be made known to them that uh, at a time when Europe, when before America was discovered, or even at the time that America was discovered, the people and white people in Europe were living in a savage state. But even at that same time, the black man in Africa was living in palaces. The black man in Africa was wearing silks. The black man in Africa was cooking and seasoning his food at a time when the people in Europe were still eating raw meat, eating the box from trees, were, were living in caves, living in hillsides. The black man in Africa had uh, mastered the arts and the sciences to such an extent that he could plot the course of the stars in the universe when the people in Europe didn't even yet know that the earth was round. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that by uh, reacquainting the black people in this country with our true culture, the true, the true state of culture in which the white man found us when he came into our society, then that restores racial pride, racial confidence, racial cohesion, racial unity, racial harmony, uh, racial harmony among our people and gives us the incentive to uh, want to go back and be among our own kind. And after also being taught that now that our God has come and is going to establish a godly society based upon godliness, then the next step, he says, we must clean up. After we wake up, we must clean up. We must stop trying to imitate the white man and imitate God. We must stop trying to be like the white man with his immorality, his vices, his, his indecency, and turn toward godliness, toward righteousness, so that immediately a Muslim, immediately a black man in America wakes up and becomes a Muslim in the religion of Islam. He stops smoking. He stops drinking. He stops uh, using profanity. He stops lying. He stops cheating. He stops stealing. He stops gambling. He stops committing fornication and adultery. Uh, uh, prostitution is eliminated from our community. Uh, he stops his laziness, his uh, uh, uncleanliness. We were made to bathe once every 24 hours, a hot bath once every 24 hours. We're taught to respect our women. We're taught to elevate our women. We're taught to uh, this. We're taught uh, how to eliminate juvenile delinquency by eliminating parental delinquency. The husband is taught to respect the wife. The wife is taught to respect the husband. And by the wife and husband respecting each other. Uh, this respect that we have for each other in front of our children automatically creates respect in our children for us. We have no juvenile delinquency. The children respect authority by respecting the parents. They respect their teachers in school. This creates a situation where we don't have dropout problems in school. We, this means clean up. Wake up, clean up. And once we wake up and then clean up, then we, the next step is stand up. Instead of running around here begging the white man and, and, and uh, relying upon the white man to solve our problem, we have to stand up on our own feet and take immediate steps to solve our problems ourselves. What business interests or financial arrangements have you got to help this standing up process? Well, all of the, uh, we subsidize ourselves. The government doesn't subsidize us. In fact, the government fights us. The government harasses us. The government opposes us. The government is more against our religion than they are against communism, than they are against atheism, than they are against fascism. The government, the United States government, does more to block the spread of the Muslim religion as taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad among the black people in this country than they do to stop the spread of communism, atheism, and all the other evils that have destroyed the, the moral fiber of the Negro community. So uh, since we, are, have, we face all that opposition, then the, that, this means the, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has the support of God and his followers. And by having the support of God and his followers, I mean that uh, all of the money that we used to waste, dissipate as Christians when in nightclubs, drinking whiskey or for cigarettes or chasing prostitutes, 
since we don't do that now, we channel these uh, funds into businesses, small businesses that we establish ourselves. And then we develop these businesses or chain of businesses into larger businesses. This creates employment for our people. Uh, we have our own school in Chicago and in Detroit. And we also have uh, classes informal uh, classes in all in every mosque in the country we have our own school system where we educate our children where we teach our children the culture the history of the black man and this restores the racial pride in our children that was destroyed by the lies of the white man during slavery and by the lies of the american educational system right now and uh uh this is if this is what you meant this is my answer it is said that you will most likely um, succeed. Mr. This is incorrect. Uh, this is conjecture on the part, again, of uh, propagandists and journalists who have to sensationalize on something in order to sell papers. Uh, no one can engage in conjecture concerning what the future has in store for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. We who follow him believe that America is symbolically described in the Bible uh, by the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. We believe that the Negroes in America are, are symbolically described as, by the Hebrews who were enslaved in the house of bondage called Egypt. We believe in that context that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is the modern Moses. And uh, just as Moses was successful in seeing the complete uh, destruction of the enemy of his people uh, in his lifetime, we believe that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, a modern Moses to us, will be successful in bringing, just as Moses was successful in separating the Hebrews from the house of bondage and uh, putting them on the road toward a land of their own in which they were to receive the, the sweet honey of uh, freedom, justice, and equality, we believe that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the modern counterpart of that ancient Moses, will in his lifetime see the successful separation of the 20 million black people in this country from the American white man who's only a modern pharaoh and set us back on the road toward our own homeland where we can build a tabernacle and give praise to Allah, the God of our forefathers. And uh, because we feel that he is a modern Moses, we never think in terms of who will succeed him. No one preceded him. Plus, God chose Moses and God chose the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. No one can succeed him. No one can, we will never need another a messenger from God. The only thing anybody can do is pick up and try and help him carry out his program. And here in America, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has chosen many helpers, and I'm only one of the many helpers whom he has chosen. And I thank God, thank Allah for blessing me to be born at a time when I could uh, help, give help or give assistance to a man who is solving the problem for black people in this country whom all of the whites uh, themselves had to confess they couldn't solve. You you have a restaurant in in Harlem. I understand there's some dietary habits of the restaurant that are different from the usual restaurant you'll find around. Well, in our restaurants, there's no smoking, number one. Plus, no pork is served. No pork products whatsoever is sold in any of our restaurants. Our, we probably have the only kosher-type restaurant in, in Harlem. But not only in Harlem. We have many restaurants in New York. And the one you're speaking of probably is the one to which mo the most publicity is given. And, but in, in none of our restaurants do you find... Uh, and, al al and also all of our food is fresh. Uh, we don't serve anything that we wouldn't eat ourselves, which is uh, unique for res New York restaurants. And all, all of our food is cooked right on the premises. What are the prices like? Oh, very convenient. Very, very good. In fact, uh, we get many customers. In fact, we have an integrated restaurant, which means that we do believe that white people can come in our restaurant as customers. 
and we would go in theirs as customers, but we don't believe in forcing ourselves into any place where we're not wanted. We feel that if the black people would spend some of that money that they've been wasting trying to integrate white restaurants and establishing some first-class restaurants of their own, then if they want to be around whites, let the whites come and spend their money in our restaurants. And this creates some kind of economic future for ourselves. Uh, you find we have as many white customers as we have black customers. And although the white man keeps running around here saying that the followers of Mr. Muhammad teach hate, no white man has ever come to us and said that we act like we hate him. We treat him better than a lot of these Negroes do who profess to love everybody. But we treat him right if he acts right. We don't treat him right just because he's white. We respect him if he carries himself in a way worthy of respect. But we don't respect anybody on this earth just because his skin is white. Those days are gone. And does the same thing follow for anybody whose skin is black? We, care, we, we, uh, we treat others, we treat people as they carry themselves. If they carry themselves in a way worthy of respect, they get our respect. If a white man came one Sunday afternoon to attend one of your services... No. Uh, no white man attends any of our religious services. The religious message that God has given to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has been divinely prescribed to, to heal the, the uh, ailments of the sick people here in this country called Negroes. It's a religious prescription, divinely prescribed, to heal all that ails our people. And the white man has no business trying to force his way into a hospital that's set aside for patients who are the victim of his brutality. Don't you think that if he should understand better or... He already understands. I hate to cut you off like this. You don't give the white man no understanding. The white man knows what he did. He knows his crime. And today, uh, the only he, he's looking for an out for some place to hide, but you don't have to give him any under. After 400 years of our people being in this country, what kind more, what more understanding should he be given? He has seen our people hung from one end of this country to the other. He knows every kind of legal way to deprive us of our rights. Why, what's the one of the reasons right now that the NAACP and CORE and these other integrationist groups can't make any faster progress than they've made? They've got too many white people inside those groups looking for understanding. And if they get them out of there and try and go ahead and get this problem solved ourselves, our problem would be solved. And, uh, and I might add, if you think that we've made progress, our progress is the same as if you jump on a, a passenger train going to Chicago that's moving 90 miles an hour. And because you think the train is going 90 miles an hour, you think that that's you making progress because you're looking out the window. But if you go and stand in front of the mirror, you'll see that you're standing still. You just happen to be aboard a vehicle that's moving. And if you yourself weren't aboard a vehicle that's moving, you'd still be standing still. And here in America, the Negro is standing still. And what appears to be progress to him is a, a mirage. It's only because America is going forward that the Negro thinks he's going forward. But when, comparatively, he's still standing still. He has made no progress. When do you think it will be solved, if at all? Uh, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that the only solution to the prob problem that the white man in America uh, faces is complete separation of the black man from the white man. When that takes place, then America will cease to have troubles. And if uh, America doesn't allow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to bring about the separation of our people, then God will do it. And when God does it, then that means that the judgment will take place. And the same as it took God, when God, uh, 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 Moses' job was to separate his people from Pharaoh. And as long as Pharaoh allowed Moses to do his work of separating his people and Pharaoh didn't try to hamper Moses' efforts, then Moses, uh, Pharaoh survived. But as soon as Pharaoh himself stepped in to try and block uh, Moses from getting his people out of the house of bondage, then God stepped in. And when God stepped in, Pharaoh found himself drowning in the bottom of the Red Sea. 
Um, so then <clears throat> that would be Armageddon for the black man. Uh, uh, the Bible says that Armageddon is a war that will take place between God and the devil. And uh, uh, the very fact that the statesmen, world statesmen, are me uh, 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 repeatedly refer to Armageddon as the Third World War uh, makes us see that white man knows that there's not going to be any invisible battle between spirits called Armageddon, but it will be a war right here on this earth between flesh and blood people. And uh, and uh, it'll be black people on one side and white people on the other side, as we've been taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. It'll be the last war. And in this war, it'll end all wars. God will be on one side and the devil will be on the other side. So we want to be on God's side. That's why the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is trying to clean us up and reform us and put us on God's side. Do you yourself experience any discrimination in New York? Plenty of... Uh, I myself don't uh, experience any di ex uh, discrimination because I don't go where I can be discriminated. I know who, who I'm dealing with and what I'm up against and I know how to get around it. But you have just as much discrimination and prejudice and segregation in New York City as you have in Mississippi. The only difference between New York City discrimination and Mississippi discrimination, the white man in Mississippi who discriminates you is just like a wolf. He lets you know he's a wolf and he lets you know where he stands. But the white man here in New York City is like a fox. Uh, he, uh, the, when you see the, the teeth of the wolf, you know what he means. But when you see the teeth of a fox, he holds his mouth in such a way you think the fox is smiling. You think he's your friend. But the wolf and the fox have the same motivation. And, you, and if you uh, take either one for a friend, you'll end up in the same way.